Do you want to know what it takes to make Newcastle United a successful side? Do you want to learn the secret about what goes on in the boardroom? Do you want to know what it takes to turn Newcastle from a relegation threatened side into one that very nearly won the Premier League title? I think you just might. I'm talking about the entertainers era under Kevin Keegan, that fast-flowing electric football, the one that lasts long in the memory, the side that may well be the reason you are a Newcastle United fan. Well, to look back on that time, I've gone and got the man who bankrolled Kevin Keegan, the man who signed the checks to allow Sir Les Ferdinand, Alan Shearer and countless other superstars to arrive on Tyneside and get within touching distance of the Premier League title. Yes, Sir John Hall. He is a late but very special addition to the Everything is Black and White podcast live taking place on Wednesday, August 30th at the Tyneside Irish Centre. Not long to go till the event and not many tickets remain on sale either, but there are a few that you can get your hands on. I'm going to pop the link into the description, click on that, go through to the website and secure your tickets now. It's going to be a great evening. We're going to talk about the Newcastle United of the current day, the transfer market, the Champions League and Eddie Howe. We've got the times of Henry Winter. We've got BBC Newcastle's Matthew Wiesbeck and, of course, our great panel here from the Chronicle. But Sir John Hall, what a magical name to add to the bill. We cannot wait. We hope to see you there. So click that link, secure your tickets to the Everything is Black and White podcast live. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's time for the match preview. Liverpool, the visitors this Sunday as Newcastle United look to continue their tremendous run of form at home. Liverpool, one of just two teams to pick up three points on Tyneside last season and the only side to do the double over the Magpies in the last campaign as well. I'm your host, Andrew Musgrove, and as usual, joined by John Gibson. We're going to look ahead to the clash with Liverpool, how United get the better of Jurgen Klopp's men. And whether there is a case for any changes in Eddie Howe's starting 11, let's get on with the show. John, how are you keeping? You well? I'm good, I'm good. Despite the result of Man City, I'm, uh, I'm still fine and I think we're okay. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to dwell on it too much because it's been discussed by everyone on Tyneside uh, over the past few days. But as you mentioned there, a defeat to Manchester City in the last game for Newcastle United. What did you take from it that you think perhaps Eddie Howe will take into Sunday's game with Liverpool? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, um, it was something that was perhaps inevitable. I forecast a, 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 a narrow defeat for us. I don't think it made me a genius to do that. I think a lot of people thought that was a possibility. We were wanting to see how far we've closed the gap on Manchester City. And the obvious answer to that is there's still a gap to be closed. But the one thing that I take out of it is that we've got to remember where we've come from and where we're going to. Uh, Sheikh Mansour took over Manchester City 15 years ago. 15 Pep has been there for the last seven years. We are entering only our second full season under new owners and new manager. So, you know, that that if we're both going in the right direction, Man City and I, they're going to be that step, significant step ahead for us. 15 years, their ownership's worked to get them to be European champions. Pep's been there seven years. How's into his second full season? And so are the owners. So, you know, perhaps we shouldn't be surprised that there's still a gap. But we've made so much rapid progress that you're almost expecting it to go on unabated and us to plough past everybody that's going. And unfortunately, it doesn't quite work like that. I was a little bit disappointed. And I think one of the reasons was not the result, but the way we tend to play why we had this success to the degree we had, Andrew, against Aston Villa was I thought we were on the front foot from the first minute of the game. We were aggressive. We went forward with power and pace. We overwhelmed them. I thought we were a little bit timid against City. We almost went into the game where we should know what place. That, you know, Aston Villa was supposed to be as close as to us 
in their progression and saw it was a meeting of two equals, we blew them away. We almost went into this knowing it wasn't a meeting of two equals and were a little bit apprehensive about it. Um, the one thing I found with Kevin Keegan, because there's always this um, comparison with the entertainers, and it, I know it didn't work because Newcastle didn't win the championship, but with the entertainers, they went full throttle at the opposition, come what may. Now you can well turn around, it's significant because of the game this weekend, and say, yes, we lost 4-3 to Liverpool by going full throttle at Liverpool, gung-ho, if you like. But it wasn't quite gung-ho because, you know, we, the back door wasn't completely left open. But in a way, we were playing to our strengths because the entertainer's best chance was to to be full frontal on a side, the best chance of a result. If it if we went if we just failed, we lost a four three, but we played to our strengths. I felt we didn't quite play to our strengths against Manchester City. And and if we played and that's why I want us to go back against Liverpool to having the attitude that we had against Villa. Where from the start we get at them with pace and with power and get amongst them. And that we don't start quietly, which I thought we started at City. Hmm. I mean, there's been a big, big debate on social media, no doubt, in the pubs and clubs about Saturday's performance. It's really divided the fan hmm. base. Me and Aaron on the, on the Monday show that was recorded uh, on Tuesday, we were divided. Uh, he was much more kind of, you know, yeah, there's positives to take. But I was kind of in the camp that it seems you're in, John, where I was a little bit disappointed with uh, just the lack of attackingness from Newcastle United. But the other side will say, well, if you if you go full throttle against Manchester City, you will get absolutely torn apart. I'm just wondering, though, if if the players are feeling frustrated and you know they, they look back over the, over the game, which they will do this week, they'll analyse it with Eddie Howe. And if they're feeling frustrated and they're thinking, "Oh, we didn't quite get to the level we know we, we can be at," that'll be an, a motivation for Sunday, won't it? Rather than going into the training ground this week and being on the end of a four-five nil thumping off Manchester City, where you're feeling down in the dumps and you're licking your wounds, I'd rather go in a little bit frustrated and thinking, "Right, this week." We reach our full potential. We go out there and we show the world on Sunday on the Sky cameras exactly what we're about. Yes, I think. Yes, I think that's absolutely true. I think the little bit of frustration we have, and I've asked for a balance, and I've given both sides. Like you know, we've got to remember we're in a second full year, and then a fifteenth year city. But you know, we felt a little bit that City weren't quite the side they were. They were without stones. The uh, Bernardo Silva wasn't there. Two of the lads went in the summer. De Bruyne was injured. Foden ran, ran the show. And if we should never be gung-ho, else you're going to lose, uh, you're going to lose four or five. But more front foot, especially in the in the, the final third, well, from the halfway line to their penalty area, more front foot, we might have just give them a bit more of a problem. That's gone. That's yesterday's news. Let's put that to bed. What we've now got to look at is Liverpool are coming here. Now, if we've got a bad record against Manchester City, which we unquestionably have, we have a bad record as it happens against Liverpool. Not only did they do us home and away last season, which I think was very unjust, a 98th minute winner down there after... Isaac had scored two and was only allowed one, and the goalkeeper sent off up here um, in the first half, even though we were 2 0 down at the time. What we saw after that indicated to me that with 11 v 11, we were not out of the game whatsoever in that game. Uh, they, but they've got a good record against us. I just wonder, we're playing at home where we've got our 12th man on our side, 50,000 Jordies, and I, if we adopt the controlled attitude that we had against Aston Villa for the 90 minutes as we did against Villa for the 90 minutes, I think we've got a great chance. And I, all I, I'm asking for is for us to go into the match as we went into Villa and not as we went into Manchester City. 
yeah, believe in, in yourself, believe in that you, you know, you're better than the opposition and you can you can beat them. And I think when you look at how Man City handled Newcastle United, you know, their defensive line just is absolutely brilliant. They passed the way out of the press. And if you manage to catch Liverpool versus Bournemouth, now Liverpool came out, what was a 3-1 in the end? I'm not really sure how, but for the yeah. first 25, 30 minutes, their defensive line was absolutely shocking. Allison all over the place. Van Dijk uh, just didn't look his usual self. They're really vulnerable at the back. And whereas I think most people accepted, even if Newcastle's pressing game was at its very best against Man City, it was still going to take more to beat Man City. Here, against Liverpool on Sunday, I think you're confident of that press working really well because they're just, especially very early on in games, they look nervous. They don't look like the Liverpool of old. I don't think everything's well there. I think Newcastle United, if they're switched on and they're clinical and they're at them from the word go, I think they'll get an early goal. And I think Newcastle could beat Liverpool. I I mean, for me, Liverpool, this is very unlike Liverpool of the past seasons, bar last season. I think they defend like a pub team and they attack like a dream team. When they've got the ball in our half, they look terrific, the current Liverpool. Defensively, they look like a pub team. They've been thrown together and they're not quite certain what's happening in and where. And that's why I want us to be front foot against them. If we play like we did against Villa, our front three and the midfield will cause them untold problems. There's absolutely no danger about that. They will do that. And we've got to remember that if we're slightly disappointed against Man City and the score was only 1-0 and there's something to be said about that because you hold your head up high and your, your goal difference is still 5-2, which is terrific. If we get it, And if we get another win against Liverpool, six points out of nine with the start we've had will do as a, as a wonderful return. But if we play the way we do again, the way we did against Aston Villa, when we put five past their defence, and their defence is not anywhere near as bad as Liverpool's is, we can get a result. It's the attitude, and it's starting on the front foot, Andrew. In the first 10 minutes at City, I was concerned. I didn't think we did the press as well as we do. I, I didn't think we went about them with pace. I think we went about them saying, right, we're going to settle in. We're going to go on to this game, etc., etc., etc. Hey, and it, it, you can say it almost worked. We're only a goal out, although we didn't create an awful lot in terms of if shots on target. Um, but I just feel if we go back to the Aston Villa game, and why shouldn't we, then Liverpool have got problems. And that's the way it should be. If you don't, then you've got problems. Hmm. And as much as Liverpool look a bit dodgy at the back, Going forward, they have some absolutely fantastic players, as you've mentioned there. they kind of got the, the dream set up. You've got Mo Salah, you've got Diaz, looks at an absolute quality. I mean, Newcastle yeah. United, we know how strong they are at the back, but at times there have been, as I've mentioned on, on, on the pod, big gaps that have been exploited by a, a few teams, and it does worry me slightly on Sunday. Uh, I'd like to see the space clothes somewhat because if if you afford it to Liverpool they will punish you and we saw uh, against City that Alvarez goal and people know that I've I was fuming at the way it was conceded because he had so much time and space we don't want to be seeing that again on, on Sunday because if you give that time and space to Diaz you give that time and space to Sal whoever you give it to uh, they'll more than likely punish you so Newcastle have just got to tighten up slightly at the back You've got to remember as well that the goal came down our left-hand side, the the one goal of the game, and that's the goal where Seller will be coming down on uh, on Sunday. And I felt that Dan played a little bit now, and they were very clever. They got Kyle Walker absolutely hugging the touchline to stretch the pitch very very wide, um, because Dan was in now. And you, you've got a situation then where Foden would also drift right and go into that space, which is where he was in when he when he produced the killer goal. And, of course, um, 
with burn having been done, Botman got drew across and, and Alvarez was standing by himself. You, you, we we don't want to leave gaps like we, we did there. There's there's no question. Um, and as I say, since February, I think we've kept only a couple of clean sheets. We're not outside of the game at Villa. We don't leak a lot of goals, but we leak a goal. Um, and, and you know, I've chunted on about that. Um, and then you need two to win. Uh, but it's it's going to be interesting on Sunday because, you know, we've said they've got a great front three. And let's be truthful, we've got a good front three. So, uh, you know, it's going to be a shootout that should be enjoyable. And and that's what we thought when Aston, before the Aston Villa game, that it would be a shootout enjoyable. And we came out well on top. And that can happen again. Do you worry that Alexander-Arnold might be given the same instructions as Kyle Walker was, you know, to, to come down when Anthony Gordon, whoever's on the left, pushes forward and then you, you, you come down as the full-back and you exploit, you know, Dan Byrne? Or is it that even if he is given those instructions from, from uh, Jurgen Klopp, you know he's not as good as Kyle Walker. Man City are better than Liverpool, and Newcastle are be- or Newcastle are better than Liverpool. So, you know, he might be given the same instruction, but it's the application, and and which 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 will be different. And we're not back in Liverpool to be as clinical or as or as good as Man City. No, no, they're going to give us more chances at the back than Man City give us. That's for certain. I think the danger. You're absolutely right. There is a danger that they will exploit that situation and. Uh, that acres of, of green turf um, on our left side, they will try to exploit that. Of course they will. That's their job. And um, we've got to hope that we hit them on the counter and, and we do it. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think one of the... Re- we, we saw, and this isn't having to go at, uh, particularly at Dan Byrne, because I've said so often, Hasn't he got the heart of a size of a frying pan? The usual thing. Just, isn't he absolutely terrific? How much he cares? Hasn't he turned himself into a, a fullback that doesn't get absolutely hammered week in, week out with all the limitations of, of lack of pace and lack of it being his natural position? We've got to remember that he's done a terrific job because he isn't a left back. We must remember that. You know, in fairness to the boy, he isn't a left back. But that's why we've gone out and bought a left back. And thank goodness we have, because I think the two positions that were left with Newcastle United after they did their original business was that we needed a left back and we needed a right side centre half because if anything happened to Fabian Shaw, fitness wise, and he does take a lot of knocks. Then we could be in trouble there because Lascelles goes in. He's not. He doesn't come out the back with the ball in the way that Char does. So it means a different setup, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And we haven't an actual left back that we're willing to give a lot of time to because, although we spent 16 million on target and had two bites at him, getting them on loan and then getting them permanently, he's not seen as the natural first team regular at left back. The, the team selected by Eddie has proved that. So I think we needed a natural left-back uh, and we needed a cover centre-half. We've got the natural left-back in and we've got to be grateful for that. Yeah, you're talking about the arrival of Lewis Hall, 18-year-old, 19 next month, on loan, obligation to buy next summer if certain criteria is met. A Geordie lad, his family, all Newcastle supporters, so he's living that that dream. It's a big, big signing for, for him, big move for him, big move for Newcastle United. Uh, he's only played around 600 minutes of, of Premier League football, so, you know, he's not got a wealth of experience. Can you can you see him, though, being involved? Obviously not Sunday-wise, you know, it'll be Dan Byrne on Sunday, but in the in the weeks weeks to come, do you, do you see him having a, a first-team role to play? Absolutely, I do. Uh, I think he's a quality, quality signing. He's He's a proper left back, and by that I mean he's a natural left back. It's his natural domain. Uh, all his family, his dad's a Geordie. He wasn't born up here because dad was down in Slough, I think, at the time. But dad's a Geordie, and he's 
him and his brother were brought up and have always been Newcastle United fans. Isn't that wonderful? How chuffed is dad going to be this morning? Sitting there thinking his lads, I've driven into the day he was born at Newcastle United, or they club it, and then all of a sudden he is going to play for Newcastle United. He's only 18, he's going to be 19. He's a wonderful talent. He hasn't got... He, experience but how many 18 year old kids have experience but he's played a dozen games or something for first team games for Chelsea played on the way against us and and he'll be involved very quickly I'll tell you why because the reason he wanted to leave Chelsea is because he wanted more game time well while he's going to be absolutely dazzled by coming to Newcastle United he is going to pop the question to Eddie Howe before he put pen to paper oh by the way governor I know I'm chuffed and you're opening my dream move but you're going to play me from time to time aren't you because that's the only reason I'm leaving Chelsea and if he played a dozen times for Chelsea last season and wasn't satisfied he wants to play more than a dozen times for some club this season and that club's now Newcastle and so I think he will come he will come quicker into the first team than Livermento because of the person in front of him. Dan Burns, the person in front of Hall, who's not an orthodox left back. Trippier is not only an orthodox right back, but is a skipper in an England international. So it's going to take Livermento longer than it's going to take Hall to to get into the side. But I'll tell you one thing. Liverpool is 21, Burn is 18, coming up 19. These two are so good, they could, over the next 10 years, be the Newcastle United fullback partnership when, once they eventually get in, whether together, I mean, for the 10 years from that moment, and that might be next season by Liverpool becomes the right back, uh, but they, for the next 10 years, they can be Newcastle's two fullbacks, and they can equal the record of David Craig and Frank Clark, who were the last two fullbacks to win anything at Newcastle. They were in the 1969 European Face Cup winning side. Craig played 435 games right back for Newcastle, despite missing two Wembleys, 74 and 76 because of injuries. Clark played 487. So they both played well over 400 games, clocking almost 500. And these two, age-wise, could do that at Newcastle. And if they become the different style of players, certainly Hall is to Frank, because Frank was very defensive and Hall isn't in the modern day. But if they have a career like Craig and Clark, and I'm suggesting they can and probably will, then by Jove, there's something ahead for them to watch. Yeah, those price tags uh, all of a sudden look like a bit of a bargain. If you can get the best part of a decade out of both of them, it would be oh. uh, quite something to see, especially in this day and age as well. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if, if either are involved in, on Sunday. Uh, we had Livermento coming on as a, as a right winger uh, against Man City, so showing that versatility. And Eddie Howe That's mentioned it. as well uh, with Lewis Hall that he's a very versatile player and he, you know, he himself has made it known he can play in midfield as well. So versatility seems to be the key. Yeah, they'll both be on the bench. Uh, there's absolutely no question about that. There's nine can get on the bench. The bench is almost as big as the, the, the actual team. Um, and they'll both be on the bench and it's a matter of how the game pans out, whether they get some time on the pitch, but they'll both be on the bench and, um, you know, I think that uh, Lewis Hall will be pushing very quickly. I think probably Sunday comes too early for him to start in the Newcastle team. That would be perhaps seen by Eddie, who can be cautious and talks about protecting young players. It's been a bit early as to whether Lewis knows the rest of the players and he might well get on if the game's going a certain way to get a little taste of the whole atmosphere on Sunday. But I wouldn't expect him to start on Sunday, but I would expect him to be pushing for a start very shortly. Absolutely. Yeah, one to watch. So the starting 11 then on Sunday against Liverpool, there's plenty of chatter on social media about changes being made. I'm just going to say straight off, I don't think he'll make any changes unless he's forced to. So that would come down to how Joe Linton is, and we'll find more about that 
no doubt about Eddie Howe's press conference on on Friday. I say that you'll probably say he's injured, then he'll start on Sunday. So we'll find more about that come three thirty on Sunday. Um, but I think Joe Linton aside, question marks whether he's going to be fit. I, I can't see him making any changes at all. Um, I would make one change even if Joe Linton's fit. I'd bring Sean Longstaff in. The key question would be for who. I'm not too sure about who I would drop out. But from Eddie Howe's point of view, John, are you in agreement? He's going to name an unchanged side. It's very, very interesting, isn't it? Um, and I can totally follow 100% uh, that he should go unchanged because um, you've got to bear in mind if he's unchanged, you send the team out that's, that 1-5-1 against Aston Villa, which is uh, what we're asking them to become. Um, certainly, there's no question on let's get rid of the obvious things first. Isaac or Wilson, you've got to go Isaac because uh, it's at home, we're on the front foot, and he is quality personified. Tanali, do you leave him out? Well, if you've got to get Longstaff in, Longstaff's the obvious one to come in if Joe Linton doesn't make it. I'm not certain how you would get him either, get him in otherwise, and I can understand your feeling about him. I think you've got to start Tanali after his performance at St James's Park against Aston Villa and the amount of money that... Um, that, that he cost us. I think Burn will survive against Hall in this particular game. The one thing that hasn't been mentioned and I've been grappling with, and I'm a great let's be unchanged guy because I wanted that at City. Um, and if we are if we're unchanged again, it's a side that beat Villa 5-1. And that's the that's the performance we want again. The only temptation I would have is 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 Bonds does would you risk bonds for Gordon? And the only reason I say that and contemplate it is because while Gordon is terrific um, in build-up and while he's blisteringly, blisteringly quick and we've, we've got to attack on the hoof against Villa, uh, uh, as we did against Villa, and really have a go at them, and he'd be quick doing that, but Barnes brings goals and 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 we are needing goals. Um, we got five the last time at home, uh, and Bond scored in that. So the only thing I would contemplate if everybody was fit is whether I would play Bonds for Gordon. And whichever decision uh, Eddie makes, I'm happy to go with it because I'm certain would say the other at some time in the centre half, in the second half, whoever starts on Sunday. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I think you ask most people about the Man City performance and Gordon. The the near red card aside, because it was a horrendous challenge, wasn't it? On on uh, it was a Diaz, I think it was. He was brought, yes. Yeah, he, he, he again he put a shift and he looked like Action Castle's most threatening player. And I think he's had a really good start to the season. No, only two games in. He's had an excellent pre-season, excellent summer with England, and it's just the goals that are lacking from his game. And as you say. It, it, it's a really difficult decision because when you've got Harvey Barnes coming off the bench and grabbing a goal and grabbing an assist against Villa, and then you know not doing too badly against against City in difficult circumstances, you know it, it's going to come down to this week, John. We we said prior to Aston Villa, it's whatever happens behind closed doors up at Benton that is what's going to tip the decision one way or, or the other. And I said, you know, if Gordon has a good week training despite the two goals uh, that Harvey Barnes got in the Seller Cup, it'll be Gordon. And I fully think this week again, I, I actually do think Gordon will get the nod, but I can I can see the the reason why people might say it's time for Barnes. Look, if he has a good week training, you never know. The one thing that, that bothers me, Andrew, and as I say, I think it's literally a toss of the coin between the two. I think I mentioned last week, I would like to, if I could amalgamate the two, and, and have Gordon's approach work and Barnes finishing all in one outside left, he would be the perfect outside left for me. The only thing that, I mean, Gordon's quick, he, we championed him last season, didn't we, when we said to fans, don't be too harsh, this lad will come through and will be a valued member of the side. And I think he is exactly that. And I think he's proved that point totally. It just doesn't look as if he can finish to me, Andrew. 
it doesn't look a goal scorer. You're wondering, you know, when you saw totally different player, but you know, when you saw a lot of Almeyer on in the old days on one side, and you thought, well, isn't he good? But will he ever score? You know, when he, the, his first two or three seasons with us, I'm beginning to think, isn't this fella good? But when he gets sight of gold, if when he gets sight of goal, all the coolness in him seems to, and his blood seems to bubble, and 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 he snatches at it. This guy Barnes is a natural finisher, um, and that's the only thing that I think that Barnes has got over Gordon is that if you had two of them coming in from the left wing with the ball on the right foot and they were both in identical positions and they both had a chance of a shot, who would you put your money on to score? Yeah, you'd be picking Harvey Barnes more certainly, I think. But I do think uh, once Gordon gets you know a couple of uh, goals consistently, you know, one after the other in a game or a couple of games, I think... How long is that going to take? How long is that going to take? Well, you know... You never know. This Sunday perhaps could be the starting point. I think, look, for instance, it obviously scores against Chelsea last game of the season. If that had happened a few games before, I think we we see a different kind of player, one with confidence. And I think, it, look, he's a confidence player. He's looked good. I think he just needs to get more than the one goal to his name. The difficulty is for the manager, I think, Andrew, is that he has spent £40 million on Gordon, who would be back end of last season, wasn't justifying it at all, has since, I hasten to add, and he have spent almost that amount of money on Harvey Barnes, a goal scorer in the summer, and it's how they come. Now, the very easy thing is they're a bit like Isaac and Wilson were last season. You know that one of them, whoever starts, won't finish. The other one will finish because he'll come on as a sub. The only, you know, how do you get them both on the side? Well, the one that's fluid is is good, not not Barnes. Barnes is your wide left player, isn't he? You know, but Gordon can play midfield. He can play false nine, and he can put your mate under pressure on the other side of the pitch as well. If you're trying to get not necessarily Sunday, but in the future, if you're trying to get both Gordon and Barnes in the same side, that is the pressure that's on Almiron. Probably more than from Murphy in the long term. Do you try to get both Barnes and Gordon in the team? And if you do, how do you do it? And then the pressure's on Almiron to start scoring goals to make certain he's not the one that's sacrificed. Yeah. I mean, if we've been holding a meeting at the Miguel Almiron Fan Club Society, I would have voted that one off the agenda so we couldn't discuss it, but we will. and it was interesting because I was listening to BBC Radio Newcastle earlier this week and uh, Andrew, um, obviously John Anderson, Newcastle United legend, he mentioned Harvey Barnes. Could he go out on the right? That's his natural kind of position, as it is uh, Anthony Gordon's as well. And it is interesting because Miguel Amiron is another one who splits opinion. People know how I feel about him. I think he's going to have another good season. I know I said 20 goals. Um He's got a he's got a few to get before he reaches that mark, um, but he is under pressure. But, I, but then, do you know what, John? I think everybody is under pressure because he's Eddie Howe's got so many options to tinker. And I'm not necessarily talking about this Sunday. I, I'm just talking as a whole. I mean, when Joe Willick comes back, I mean, how is he going to get back into the side? It, it's fantastic because it means Bruno, it means Joe Linton, it means Tenari. They all have to be right. on their A game. It, it, the options across, especially offensively, the options are there to keep players on their toes. And then that is a really good, good thing to have. And we haven't mentioned the guy that ripped up the preseason, and that's Elliot Anderson. Yeah. I mean, there wasn't a better player in the preseason than Elliot Anderson. And and because he's a young man and because he's in a competitive position in the team, he, you know, he's suddenly gone back temporarily to what he was last season. But there's Elliot Anderson, there's Willick, there's uh, Livermento, there's uh, Hall, uh, all pushing with some justification, and Bonds, of course, and and the old warrior uh, Wilson. Uh, they're all pushing and will believe in their hearts individually that they ought to be starting. 
Um, I think we've got that everywhere. Dubrovka will, will, will probably think it as well, but he, he won't start ahead of Pope at any time in the foreseeable future. He is the understudy. Um, but outside of that, and outside, my worry is Shaw. Um, and not him personally, but him being injured and not being available because that is the one position that stands out like a sore thumb to me and says not adequately covered is right side centre half because Lascelles would be the one going in there. You won't get a bigger heart. You won't get somebody more committed to the cause. You won't get somebody more Newcastle United minded, having been skipper for so long, etc. But facts are facts. It doesn't. His strength is to play the old-fashioned centre-half, fight physically a physical centre-forward and see what happens. But given time, asked to come out from the back with the ball at his feet, which the right-sided centre-half is asked to do in the Newcastle system, is just not his game. So there would be a big dip if we had to go with Jamal for three games on the bounce because Shaw had an injury. Uh, But apart from that, as you've said, how does Willock get back? How does Anderson get in the team? When's the two young fullbacks going to get a go? Um, what happens on the left wing? That, that's all wonderful because, by job, we're, we're just about to hit a period where one match a, a week's going right out the window with the first the League Cup and then the FA Cup in the new year and, of course, the Champions League. Hmm. Yeah, yep, indeed. Um, it's going to be interesting to see that team sheet. Like I say, if it was me... Sean Longstaff would be would be in. I just feel like Newcastle could do with that. With Who that. would you put him in for? Well, then, this, is, this is if, the question. Joel, but yeah, but if you're the boss, you've got to put him in for somebody. If, now, if we presume that Joel, Lind- I'm just taking the point up and playing devil, devil's advocate. It's a very interesting point. It's a very interesting point, and I can understand how you're. A fan at the moment of Sean Longstaff because he made such a difference towards the end of last season, and when we found that out mainly when he wasn't available to us, what how our standard dropped. But if Joe Linton is fit, and that means the midfielder played in the first two games is Joe Linton, Tonali, and Bruno. Who would you play Longstaff for out of those three? Well, this is it, and I've got an easy way to get out of answering this. Joe Linton's not fit, yes. No, no, no. Even if Joe Linton was fit, I would have to make a decision based on what I see in training over the next few days. And as that's never going to happen... Do you actually think that training matters so much? Because all training is is keeping people fit, and they'll play a five aside, they'll play 11 aside somewhere. Do you think 11 aside in training is going to tell Eddie Howe more than the Manchester City game or the Aston Villa game told him? Because I don't think so. No, not necessarily more, but I think together... I, I think really it, don't think training makes that much difference, you know. I have to, I have to uh, disagree with you. I think it makes a big difference, especially in a team where the standards are set so high. I mean, that is your chance to impress you in the week. And I get what you're saying. It's about keeping fit and stuff, but... You know that you're managing. How many to... times can you impress on the ball? Are you if you do more running, if you do more exercise, if you do more of this, he'll put you in the side. How many games you won't play a game every day to impress on the field? No, no, and it's not about just the games. It's about you know the the, the stuff, the, the the routines, the, well, the, yeah. the workouts and stuff. I I, I think I think, I think it does make more of a difference than you give than you give a credit for, John. I, I, I think... don't. I don't think it would, unless somebody was very poor in attitude, which we suppose Ryan Fraser has been in the past to be where he is, unless somebody's very poor in the attitude, and I don't think we've got players who are poor in attitude. A lot of teams have, Andrew, and a lot of teams, Mm. you look at players during the week, the manager, and he he thinks he doesn't fancy it, and I don't fancy him going on like that. Forget him this weekend. I think we've got a bunch of absolutely honest players that will give 100% every day in training and on match day. And therefore, your opinion, I think an opinion might be changed by what happened in Manchester City than what happens on Thursday's training session without a shadow of doubt. It's all about opinion. That's my opinion. It's Mm. not obviously but yeah. I think I think you've got a heck of a job to convince the manager good gracious Anderson didn't convince the manager pre-season on the pitch 
So what he could do more to didn't convince him enough to start him in the two games of that. So how on earth he could have convinced him during training if he couldn't convince him during the matches, I'm not certain. There we have it. I mean, well, the one thing that might uh, make that an absolute irrelevant point, Sean Longstaff, is that when you look at how Liverpool have set up so far, you look up at how they set up against Bournemouth, uh, three across the, the middle, uh, Zabazai, McAllister and Gakpo now. McAllister's red card's been rescinded quite quite rightly. You know, it was a shocking decision. You assume it would be those three. It's not a very defensive midfield three. I know they've got the, the wonder of Van Dyke at the back, but as we've explained, the back four and the keeper look at odds with each other. I think this is going to be an end-to-end game. And if you look at the midfield three, Newcastle are likely to play if everyone's fit. You would then actually say, from a defensive point of view, they've probably got the better defensive element. Although, together, these two teams, I think, are just going to throw everything at it. And I think I think you'll see both midfield threes. There'll be a lot of space. And uh, it's going to be a really interesting battle. It is. It is. And I take the point you make. The defensive midfielder that... Liverpool have is the Japanese uh, international's captain who came on after McAllister went off. He's they got him from Stuttgart. He yeah. he is he is the defensive-minded midfielder, but he didn't start, and he would have played if McAllister's um, suspension had been up, upheld. But as you say, rightly so, it wasn't. So McAllister plays. Um, but, you know, the, the one thing I would say about the midfield, and I, I, I do take aboard what you said about Sean Longstaff because uh, of what he did for last season. But, you know, when we were sitting here a fortnight ago and we were discussing Aston Villa, we were discussing how wonderful Aston Villa midfield was when they beat us 3-0 at the end of last season at Villa Park and how much they ran the show in the States, their midfield. And we went in with Tenali, Bruno and Big Joe and did people like McGinn, who's absolute quality, didn't get a kick at St James's Park? So yeah. as a midfield three, we did we did the job um, against Villa. Uh, you can't argue that we didn't do the same job. I mean, it, uh, Etihad, and of course we didn't. But the quality of opposition was so superior to to Villa. But we did a good job in what we worried about the midfield. At St James's, and I would suggest Aston Villa got a better midfield than the current Liverpool midfield. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a valid point, and I think a lot of people pointed out how how high everybody was after that Villa game, and how you know buzzing we were about the midfield. And I think we've probably been burned a little bit as as podcasters and as a fan base, you know, to uh, not to trumpet out the the old saying of a previous manager, but let's judge it after ten games, perhaps, and then make a make a, a, a sane judgment. Yeah, absolutely correct, because, you know, it, it's been crazy. It, it's always been a thing of mine about league tables at this start of the season. I mean, honestly, we and I know it, it played into Jordi Ego, but we produced a league table after a beat Villa and said Newcastle are top of the league. One game played, and because of the, it was 5-1, that put us top of the three-pointers. I mean, a table after one game is the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. And in the old days, in the football thing, at least we didn't. We had the decency not to produce a, a league table after one game because it just looked absolutely silly. So after one game, we're top of the league. And because we've won 5-1, there's a chance we're going to win the Premier League title this season. Then we lose at Manchester City, where the European champions, and we only lose one nil. And I, I, I see some people, some fans, sending up messages saying, "If we lose, if we don't get our head together over the next four games, we'll be in a relegation fight." Now, surely both of those statements are absolutely ludicrous. That because after one game we're going to be in for the title, and after two games we're going to be fighting. Let's be careful. Or we're going to have a relegation fight on our hands. Both of those statements are knee jerk. Uh, we are what we were last season. We're a very good side that's around the fourth best side in the country as things stand. And we were after we beat Villa, and we still are after we've lost to Manchester City. Someone must have had a bad, bad night's sleep to post that Newcastle are going to be in a relegation. But yes, I, man. 
I read that, but yes, I read. And plenty of people in reply to that didn't say that we we're going to be in a relegation battle, but said that it was a reality check and this was the real Newcastle, you know, suggesting we're mid-table side, uh, not the ludicrous thing of being in the relegation. But, you know, all of a sudden we've gone from we're marching on Europe and, you know, we can win everything within our sights to, well, in reality, we're just a mid-table side. And, I, you know, it, it it's all knee-jerk, isn't it, after two mm. games? And depending on the result against Liverpool, we could go the other way. You're absolutely right. Don't give me a league table that will play about six or eight games because... Uh, if, by the way, may I mention that we were top of the league after we beat uh, Villa 5-1 and currently top of the league is Brighton. Now, Brighton have beaten, if I remember off the top of my head, Luton and Wolves, who will both be in a relegation fight this season. But they're top of the league and expected to be doing absolutely wonderful. We We have played Aston Villa, who are hugely rated and in Europe, and we've played the European champions, and we're now going to play Liverpool. So there's a bit of a difference. to When we play Brighton shortly, there'll be a bit of a difference to the opposition the two clubs have had. Yeah, indeed, indeed, yeah. I mean, I didn't know that about the pink either, so that's a, a little interesting fact there. Yeah. And you can probably see the, the reasoning behind it. Um, A quick note then on Mr Jurgen Klopp. It would please many. Uh, to get uh, it would mean more than just three points, I think, to many people um, on Sunday if Newcastle managed to beat Liverpool. They would like to see Newcastle get one over Klopp because he just rubs people up the wrong way, doesn't he? And he seems to have a real issue with Newcastle United. And whether it's a distraction tactic to what's going on at Anfield, you know, it hasn't gone too well there over the last season or two. Um, I don't, I, I don't know, but he does manage just to uh, get on the nerves of, of quite a few people, doesn't he? Yeah, I think what he's doing, he, he's saying the things that he thinks Liverpool fans want to hear. Um, and and no doubt it goes down as well with Liverpool fans as it doesn't with, with our fans. Um, I mean, I think he found it very tough last season. I think he spent as much time biting his knuckles or lying on the ground, beating his fists into the into the turf because the results weren't what they normally are. Um, they are, from my point of view, I'm not looking to get my own back on Klopp. I'm looking to get my own back on Klopp and Salah in Van Dijk in Rutherford in Alexander and all of them. Because those two results, last season, they were the only team to beat us home and away. And I have already said this. I mean, I think they were very, very lucky to do that. Now, where my arguments blown out the windows, if you start looking at the results against us, I think the last six have come up here. They haven't lost one. Um, and they've got a record against us at something's like Manchester City. But they're not Manchester City. And this season, the most certainly are not. And what we've got to remember is that this is the... There's so many clubs want our top four position at the end of this season. And and they are the ones, along with Chelsea and along with Brighton and along with Spurs, that want one of our positions. And they're probably the most capable if taken our top four position of the rest, you know, you don't fancy Spurs or Chelsea so much, can Brighton do it over a full season, etc., etc. Liverpool might just stay dogged, stay dogged and do it. So we need the three points against them. And I was just outraged by the game at Anfield last season when Isaac's, it's a famous phrase of Malcolm McDonald when he said Isaac's shadow was offside on the goal that was choked off because it was that close. Uh, and it was shadow was a name that was offside. And and then the score, 98th minute uh, winner. And then you get Klopp agitating our fans by saying, and so it, that was well deserved because Newcastle are the time wasters. And everybody's taken up that since and tried to tar Newcastle with being time wasters. Um, it used to be said that uh, playing down the clock was was a clever, astute side in order to be, uh, you know, trumpeted up as being ultra professionals. Now you're a bunch of cheats. Uh, it, it's it's quite incredible. But um, yeah, 
I, I feel we owe Liverpool one big, big, big time. And this is the opportunity, the real opportunity. And if the same Newcastle run out that ran out against Aston Villa, we win. Well, fingers crossed. And that leads us to do, as we always do at the end of the show, John, just to ask for your prediction. How is it going to go on Sunday? Yeah, I, I think Newcastle will win. Um, I think Newcastle will win, but it'll be close. And that's exactly what I said against Aston Villa. Newcastle will win, but it'll be close. And it wasn't. It was 5-1. But uh, I think this will be close. Uh, I think it could be a ding-dong match. Um and I think they can defend like a pub team, and that's with respect to pub teams. Um, uh, but I also think they can rip you up top. And while I'm not suggesting it's going to be an entertainer's 4-3, but hopefully in our favour instead of their favour this time, it can be that sort of game. Um, there can be goals in it, uh, and we've just got to get one more in them. Uh, and by the way, we didn't mention... May Nick Pope get everything he wants to get out of this game because of what happened last season up here when he had his one nightmare, I think, in the whole season. Conceded two goals in the first quarter of an hour and got sent off in 20-odd minutes. Um, I think he will be one. If he could keep a clean sheet in this game, wouldn't he be thrilled? And wouldn't I be thrilled, by the way? <laughs> because yeah. they've got a good front three. I don't think we will keep a clean sheet. I think they'll score... But I think we'll win. I'm going to agree with you. I think there's going to be goals. I think it's going to be entertaining, which means it's nailed on to be a nil-nil draw. But <laughs> my prediction is, and you cast United win, but I can't say like I, like in my head I've got like four-two in Newcastle. I just I, I I think I think there's going to be goals in it, and for the neutral, I think it'll be a good game as well. Um, it's going to be an interesting one to watch. I can't wait to see how it plays out. Uh, to you guys listening, thank you very much. As always, please hit that follow button on your podcast provider. Leave us a rating and review and pass the podcast on to your Newcastle United supporting friends and family. Head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news, including Eddie Howe's press conference on Friday through our live blog. And we'll bring you all the build-up and live coverage of Newcastle versus Liverpool on Sunday myself and John catch you very soon.